0: Welcome to the Working Together Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how, inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen. Their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I did. The social media echo chamber has made you lots of friends, and it's turned you on to all sorts of amazing new things. Bands, articles, books, videos, and so on. Because, if you like this, then you'll like this, runs in the background of everything you do online. A secret recommendation infrastructure that has created a funny unintended consequence. After years bouncing around online in these agreement machines, we've become unpracticed in dealing with people and ideas that fall outside of our well-curated worldview. So, in this episode, I return to my conversation with David Leach from back in 2016, and I explore a simple concept, kibitzing, and build a simple little exercise that can help you bust out of the social media echo chamber.
1: I was immediately struck by and I realized what had affected me most having kind of grown up in again sort of the deep suburbs of, of yeah. Ottawa which was it was like a wonderful childhood to kind of explore and safe and all of that uh, but I remember kind of coming back from Kibbutz shamir in which you couldn't like walk for 30 seconds with oh, bumping into somebody having a conversation mm-hmm. and there was all of these spaces whether it was a sports hall or which was used for movies or or sports or the swimming mm-hmm. pool or the pub or the dining room or the grocery store all of these places where you were constantly bumping into other people and and kind of uh, getting yourself within the community come back home to uh, my parents house in uh Suburban Ottawa. Uh, I'm I'm home, uh, getting ready to head back to school. Uh, during the day, it's like a neutron bomb's gone off. There's nobody there. Mm-hmm. The kids are in school or off of camps. Everybody's kind of driven into the, the city. Uh, there's no shops or anything. Uh, and I remember kind of walking through, seeing nobody as I kind of walked around the neighborhood and crossing somebody's kind of corner of lawn and hearing this shout from behind, behind a screen door, like, get off the grass! That was my one kind of mm. moment of kind of human <laughs> connection. I realized, oh, something's wrong here. Oh, a lot really of it has to do with this built environment, mm. how this these kind of neighborhoods had been set up almost to, to... to So your house really kind of faces backward into your yard. Mm-hmm. Everything's designed for for cars and for the cars to get around and, and not for pedestrians. And it was the exact opposite, I realized, of what I had experienced on the kibbutz mm-hmm. and that I was all nostalgic for it, and for years was kind of nostalgic for, it, even though I didn't... I uh, realize it that very much that human scale um community where everything was kind of built to accommodate uh people walking to different places where they could be together. Hmm. Uh, And they were very conscious of that, that the dining hall, the hub, could not be more than 10 minutes walk from anybody's house Mm -hmm. because that might mean they wouldn't come to the meetings. But also that, uh, Mm -hmm. and they were very influenced um, uh, by the whole Garden City movement, the kind of notion Mm -hmm. of, of integrating green space uh... and and communal facilities but also workspaces as well so where there was a a hemisphere or a half of the kibbutz where you have all the work places so you could go to walk to work and then walk Mm. back to lunch and then walk over to uh, have a swim and and bump into so and so and have a drink uh... and uh... it really influenced how i kind of came back to north america and sort of saw the world through those eyes and thought, well, why not? Why not here? Mm -hmm. And you see it in these ideas around new urbanism Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, um, active transportation. uh, But how do you kind of impose that vision on an urban infrastructure that for, like, 50 years has been devoted to getting cars to move around Mm -hmm. more quickly?
0: Yeah. Uh, A lot of this... A lot of this stuff that you realized about space, um, you know how how we inhabit it as a community. I mean, I think I think for tons of people living in North America and in any kind of urban setting that's been developed, um, you know, after after the Second World War, basically around the automobile, like so many people have this deep sense of you know longing for a like a, I guess what you'd call a human scale experience of neighborhood of community of of household and all this um so what kind of what kind of lessons do you feel there are if any from you know from what you study and saw in the kibbutz and 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 what we can do in our urban communities and in our suburban communities today that seem so um cut off from one another in, in many respects and distance from one another and then on the other hand, um, the whole history of the Kibbutz movement is one of um, it's, it's a story of migration, right? It's a story of settlement. Um, it's a story of some people welcoming others, and some people not, and the kind of tensions that that happen around that. And so that would be the the other kind of group of lessons that I think is really, you know, as far as the crises with with refugees and and migrants and stuff today and the, you know, the use of that issue by right-wing politicians to kind of garner support and fear and all of this stuff. You know, I'm wondering what kind of lessons we can take from, from the kibbutz movement on that front.
1: Those are excellent questions. Uh, I don't know if I've got uh, the one answer, but they've they've certainly been questions that have occupied uh, my imagination for years and Mm -hmm. really kind of seeded by my experiences in in the kibbutz and then kind of revived by uh, the visits uh, to different kibbutzim and talking to kind of the people uh, about uh, their people who've lived in these communities for years, mm-hmm. for kind of decades, who have lived communally, which is uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, something that I've uh, never done. Uh, so, in terms of the built environment, one of the things that kind of struck me, and I sometimes get this, that people get confused between the words kibbutz and kibbutz. And they're actually unrelated mm. etymologically. And kibbutz it means a gathering in Hebrew and it came to mean these settlements is actually an old Yiddish word that I think originally meant to be like an annoying observer in a card game. But it really means to, uh, to, ultimately it's become less navigative and it's more about conversation. But I think the, the lesson I realized is that to be a good kibbutznik, you had to be a good kibitzer. And mm. to be a good member of community, you have to have build these kind of conversational connections between your neighbors, between the, the people around mm. you, and that a good built environment, uh, whether it's the size of a kibbutz, which they range from anywhere from 80 people to 2,000 people, uh, to even just a street or a, a neighborhood, has to really... Um, Accent, or what I uh, what I described as the KQ, your kibitz quotient, the opportunities Mm. to have random encounters with either uh, strangers or friends, and just kind of a stop. And talk. And those are the things that kind of hmm. uh, build community and and those kind of strengthen community for when you have to make kind of tough decisions or you have to make hmm. uh, change. And again, the kibbutz was very, very kind of clear about the importance of kind of embedding this into their built environment and maintaining these spaces, what, what sociologist Ray Oldenburg often describes as. Th- the third places, mm. the places that are not work and not home, but are, are kind of more amorphous, open places where you can bump into each other and have a drink or get your hair cut mm. or, or whatnot and and uh, feel an opportunity to connect. So the importance to kind of create those places uh, and and kind of uh, save those spaces and preserve those spaces because I really kind of feel uh, that, that automobile bill uh, culture in particular in which you kind of live in a box and drive mm-hmm. around in mm-hmm. a box into another box, it disconnects you from that mm-hmm. experience. You don't have those conversations. And I, I think we kind of risk some of that with with um, the internet and mm-hmm. smartphones, though I'm a little less kind of dystopian about that than than some people are. I think there are kind of connections and an opportunity mm-hmm. for virtual communities yes, where yeah. to get us to reflect around that community. Also, yeah, I think about the kind of question of scale and and, uh, that notion that small is beautiful and and kind of uh, knowing who your community is. I heard that from a number of of, uh, kibbutzniks, especially in the urban communes as well, that it was kind of less important what their ideology was, what their vision was, but but, uh, who their neighbours were, Mm -hmm. who they were in this project uh, uh, together and that knowing that they uh, care for each other. Uh, and looked out for each other and that sense of empathy with a larger world uh, came out of that
0: that was a great little clip there Um, as I said in the start that's from my my very first interview for the Working Together podcast uh, that I did with David Leach um, who uh, lives in my community here, Victoria, BC, um, and teaches English up at the University of Victoria? Teaches English and writing, sorry, in the University of Victoria. Um, and so, as I said in the beginning, I'm gonna do a little, little talk about this. So, some of my thoughts on on what we went over there, and then after that, I'm going to go into a little podcast exercise that you can do in uh, in your life and uh and and try out and see how it works so you know i just to go back over some of the main things that really struck me there with with what david was saying uh this idea that like you couldn't you couldn't walk around uh kibbutz shamir which is the kibbutz he he kind of stayed at there when he first was living on the kibbutz, I think at the uh, end of eighties, early nineties there, you couldn't, you couldn't be in there without, uh, without bumping into somebody every 30 seconds or so and having a conversation. And there was lots of different places where you were able to kind of gather and have these uh, just informal conversations with one another. And, you know his comparison with <laughs> his experience back in Canada which for a lot of uh, folks who live in north america is is quite common right um this suburban experience of of these empty suburbs or if you are in an urban center of just this constant stream of traffic and and vehicles um you know little space really for pedestrians for people to walk around uh, that isn't uh streamlined and channeled towards you know getting from point a to point b um so i really i really liked how he compared the two there i thought that was that was great um and why it stuck in my mind is something that i i wanted to return to for the podcast um and you know he his realization that what he was nostalgic for this this kind of human scale community where everything was built to accommodate people walking around from different place to different place and so on. Um, That really struck me as well, not only because it's just such a fascinating idea to think about and, you know, what that experience would be like, because I've never experienced that, Um, but also a certain kind of sadness too, knowing that there's no way that we can just kind of, you know, raise our urban infrastructure in these cities that have been designed and built around the automobile and kind of recreate uh, a human scale community without, um, tons of expenditure and the, the amount of political capital that we need to have in place to have people agree to do that. I mean, it's just, it's impossible to think through. So for me, uh, you know, poignant there a little bit on the whole human scale thing, um, but also, as you'll see in the exercise, made me think about, okay, what can we do with what we have? How can we make what we have work better? I have some ideas on that, so I'll, I'll talk to that. Um, and then this notion, which I think is kind of the little nugget of gold conversation, is this uh, this difference between kibbutz and kibitz. And you know, how he says, uh, to be a good kibbutznik, you had to be a good kibitzer. You, um, you had to basically know how and be practiced in having good conversation with people, uh, who were your neighbors and who maybe didn't necessarily share the exact same values and vision or ideology that you do. Um, but that nonetheless were your neighbors and you kind of worked and lived together. And so, Um, you were, you were conversant with one another in this kind of relaxed way. Um, and that, you know, what a good built environment does is it, it creates this, um, this ability to kibitz with one another, or as he calls it to, uh, uh, increase or use your kibitz quotient, your KQ, um, and, and kind of just stop and talk really, Um, and that it's that that builds community. Um, and in having that and in building community in that way, we make it possible for us to face tough decisions together and work through that together because we're more familiar with one another. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting as well and worth kind of talking about a bit more. And, you know, one of the things that he kind of briefly touched on there that I think is super important is this difference between being global and being local. So being online or offline and whether or not it's possible to have something like, um, third place online right now. Um, especially given today's context with, uh, with these algorithms within the kind of social media spaces that many of us inhabit, like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Um, and how those algorithms create this well-known echo chamber effect where, um, you know, we're kind of, we're stuck in these echo chambers of, of friends and family and, and others who, um, you know, kind of constantly are confirming our values and beliefs um, and in fact kind of are just showing us when we're online that we are a happy component of a whole community of folks who, who share in our ideology and our vision or uh, interests or sense of humor or whatever with us. Um, But that maybe what we lack the most in that space is our ability to kibitz uh, is our ability to kind of, um, master the skills of conversation, so to speak, um, and build the possibility, uh, of what I guess I would call a political subject. Um, uh, so by that, I mean, somebody who's actually capable of, of, um, of conversating, um, with others, uh, towards kind of reaching a difficult decision of some sort, um, as opposed to demonstrating, you know, as opposed to kind of showing what one strongly believes or what beliefs one strongly holds. Um, so it's it's different. It's It's the possibility of having conversation as opposed to demonstration. And when I'm saying that, I'm thinking of like, you know, demo culture, right? Like that you go out and you march around and you have these, these political movements and everybody is out there on the street together and, and you kind of pat each other on the back and it it all feels good. Like you, like you might be making some sort of impact or that you might be getting heard by folks. I think that's all fine and good, but I, I do, uh, I do find myself suspicious of that approach to politics quite often and I think it comes back to this this whole ability to engage with somebody who does not share your beliefs uh, but who nonetheless still occupies your community in some sense or another and so therefore is um, you know uh, is going to be deciding on something that you too will be deciding on um, and that, there's a whole lot more to this conversation that I can barely even scratch the surface on so I won't bother to hear but just just to give you a sense there so one thing that I'm thinking of when i'm when I'm talking through this right now is this really fantastic little piece that Derek Sivers wrote uh, a while back comparing local and global, which um in the piece, uh, he basically talks about how, you know, you have to make a choice between whether or not you're going to focus your efforts at the local level or the global level, because you can't really do both. It's it's too difficult. You don't have the time and the energy to to contribute to both. And um, when I read that piece, it really, it really made sense for me in a lot of ways, especially where I'm at right now in my life, as somebody who... You know, used to do a lot of local um, engagement, local politics, things like this, um, local organizing and nonprofits and community gardens and whatever. Somebody who kind of used to spend a lot of time volunteering to do a lot of that and also sometimes getting paid to do it too. Um, Who now finds himself kind of more confined to the Internet because that just happens to be the space that's available to me given, um, you know, how busy my life is during the day. Um, I don't have time to kind of volunteer and to be out in my local community as much as I used to be. So when I read Derek's article, it made me really think like, okay, this is, I'm making a choice here by doing working together, by putting myself out there online uh, and kind of engaging with folks around the world through uh, through the internet. I'm, I'm making myself more able to be uh, uh, kind of um, contributing in some way to ideas that I think are important and, uh, you know, amplifying people who I think are interesting and who've done interesting things and have good stories to share, um, bringing people together who share similar uh, commitments, political or otherwise, uh, towards a better world and kind of training ourselves up and how to be more effective in delivering on that. So there's lots of. There's lots of things about being engaged online that I find um, really rewarding. And so when I read Derek's article, I kind of made the choice in my mind, okay, I'm going to start focusing a lot more on the global. But <laughs> I think that as, as great as that article was for me to kind of have that realization, I was also really critical of this notion that you could just kind of um, you know, hive yourself off with your computer and totally uh, disconnect from your neighborhood and from the people around you. And so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to add a bit of a rejoinder to that piece right here that Derek wrote uh, by pointing to the whole conversation that just followed with, with, uh, with David Leach and this notion of third place um, and, and kind of first, Walk you through what I think, uh, what I think one's ethical comportment can be uh, in relationship to the local, um, and how I think maybe maybe Derek was kind of getting it a little wrong there when he was talking about how um, how much time it takes to be engaged locally, uh, and then to talk about uh, some tactics and strategies that you can try in your life. Uh, through working together's first ever podcast exercise. I don't know if I'm going to call it that, but I might come up with a fancier name. And if you, the listener, have a fancier name, then please, by all means, let me know because I always appreciate uh, your good ideas. So that's what I'm going to talk about now. Okay, so, uh, you know, like I said, I think Derek's article really hit the nail on the head um, in a lot of ways. But I don't think that it is a clear-cut choice between engaging and contributing yourself to the local or the global. Uh, And there's a whole bunch of reasons why I think that's the case. But uh, nonetheless, I think I'm going to kind of just take this simple angle to it, which is this. Engaging at the local level, it doesn't have to be so utilitarian, and um, kibitzing is is evidence of this, right? Um, and it, it, it also kibitzing turns out to be the thing we happen to lack the most. We we don't have the ability to just kind of engage people, strangers, neighbors, whatever, in conversation. Um, and I think I think the reason why is because we think of we think of our local relationships in um this kind of all or nothing fashion right uh or in this fashion that like i don't know how to put it i guess we we want some sort of guarantee that 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 local encounter is going to continue onwards um in some way or another uh you know and i guess what i mean by that is that you know if we bump into somebody new or we meet somebody new we're kind of always thinking like is this going to be Somebody who's going to become a friend? Am I getting? Am I getting maybe a good friend out of this deal? Uh, or maybe if we're single, we're thinking, you know, is 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 this boyfriend or girlfriend or partner material for me? <laughs> um, or, or maybe if we're doing business type stuff, we're thinking, is this like, you know, a, a you know, a prospect or some sort of associate or business connection that I have now? Uh, that maybe I should kind of foster and feed. Like, we have this idea that if we're going to be engaging people locally, uh, that there should be some sort of guarantee attached to it, that we need to be guaranteed that this relationship is going to continue um, or that it's important that it continues. In some fashion or another. And so we, we take an all or nothing approach to it where we seek those people out, whether through digital technologies, uh, these dating apps or things like meetup or whatnot. Um, and we, again, kind of follow this algorithmic, um, drive towards matching towards finding people who share our common interests and ideas and activities and whatever. Right. Um, but that's, that's not what kibitzing is all about. That's not what kind of engaging with your neighbors is all about. This whole notion of love thy neighbor. The reason why that's, that's a thing is because it's really hard. It's really hard to love your neighbor. Your neighbor is totally different from you. And in, in many respects, uh, if you live in any community, your your neighbor is going to be somebody who you likely probably share very little interests with, but it's exactly that type of person that we need to kind of bump into more often. And we need to think of when we think of this choice between engaging more in the local or the global, we need to think of that person as the person that we need to actively bump into, even if our our whole effort is focused outwards globally through the internet or whatever. We need to open ourselves up to the possibility of random encounters in our neighborhood with people just who um, give you no guarantee of a continued relationship. Um, But nonetheless, in that moment, give you an opportunity to try conversing to, Say things that you believe or stand up for, and see if it survives the encounter with this other person who maybe actually does not share that with you. And to do that in a way that isn't structured by this kind of idea that uh, that you have to be right and that they have to be right or wrong or whatever, and that you know, you can both kind of maybe convince each other otherwise, right? Without feeling as if the other person's opinions or ideas or ideology or whatever is harming you and that you therefore need to be either a victim to what they're saying or feel as if you need to um, reign over them with your beliefs. So that's what I think is necessary Um, is you can kind of choose to focus globally or locally. I think that choice is really a, a question about where you're putting your efforts to develop relationships and to seek out guarantee from friends or new people that you've just met or whatever, to seek out a kind of guaranteed of continued engagement and meeting and discussing. But That choice is not the only one. The choice is also, am I going to keep my head down as I move from my box, my house box, to my car box and not engage in my neighbor that I see as I'm I'm doing that and not have friendly conversation with people at a cafe randomly or actively try to go out to a pub alone just to meet people and talk with people without the objective of trying to find a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner. Best friend, business associate, whatever. So that's what I think's at stake there, and I think uh, that really helps us flex this this kibbutzing, sorry, kibitzing muscle that David talks about. So a little exercise, as I promised. This is the podcast exercise part, and I'm going to play a little thing I made just to signify that. Element of this segment now. Working together podcast exercise. <laughs> you to this try is it. the working be together and podcast turn. exercise. This that is you a podcast exercise on your unsuspecting friends, you can family, go outside associates. And try it on your friends. Family. Document Maybe it could be put together. Or it's it a facilitated yourself. exercise that you do. Or maybe it it's something you listen to while you walk or maybe around it's outside sort of or do the dishes or something. Some sort of fun exercise. I don't know uh, what it could be. Stefan's figured it out and he's put it together in a neat routine. little package for you. I know what it is. Stefan's got it figured can out. It. And it's called podcast exercise because he's not creative anymore and can't come up with good names. So here it is folks. Enjoy. Okay. So how do we unbox ourselves? That's what this little exercise is trying to answer. Um, how do we unbox ourselves given that we're, you know, living in an automobile centric world and we spend a lot of our time online, uh, where algorithms uh uh combine us with lovely people who you know really 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 get what you're putting down and that's that's all lovely that's all fine but how do we unbox ourselves a bit from that so this is a little exercise i've come up with and i'm just calling it the uh the third place audit so here's what you do with the third place audit and i guess there's a second component too there's the third place audit And then there's the third place build. So how do we audit our third places and then build third places? So step one, map your neighborhoods, third places. So what you can do here, um, especially if you really want to take it off the digital side of things, is just uh, go get a map like from a gas station or you could print one out from google i suppose but just kind of sticking with this theme of going analog here go get a map from a gas station yes they still sell those they still have maps at gas stations and you can buy them anyways go get a map from a gas station of your town and um i don't know draw like a radius around your house Of maybe a kilometer or so, or however long about 10 minutes would take, just to kind of stick with David's example here of being 10 minutes away from the meeting space. So 10 minutes in every direction from your house, draw a circle and begin to think about all the different spots in that 10-minute neighborhood uh, that you're aware of that are third places, that are like a cafe or a pub or um, you know, an open air market or even a grocery store or whatever. Um, just these other places or, you know, a barber shop or whatever, excuse me, a little hiccup there. Um, and just map these on your map, uh, and then, uh, you know, make a commitment, to go out and explore some of these places and you probably already go to some of them. Right. But so now your job is to kind of explore them with an eye towards everything we've been talking about now, but also with an eye towards how these spaces and places are designed. Um, you know, are, is there, is there like good little opportunities that are created by the place itself? Um, for people to kind of have happenstance conversations um, or uh, are there too many TVs and like, you know, loud, you know, entertainment things going on. It's too hard to hear each other or something. Right. Um, You know, like just kind of map them out and, and, you know, find out which ones seem to have a bit more possibility than others. Right. And, So step three in that is you're going to um, just try to engage with some strangers. Uh, And there's lots of really easy ways that you can do this. Um, You can be kind of, uh, you can do the kind of polite eavesdropping thing, which is like, you know, you hear somebody talking about something and then in the most polite way ever, because you don't want to appear imposing and you don't want to appear creepy that you've been listening in, but you can, in the most polite way, ever say, you know, I can't, I cu- I couldn't help but notice, uh, and I, I'm sorry if it seems like I've been eavesdropping on you. That wasn't my intention, but I I just overheard you say this, and I I just thought that was really interesting, and it made me think about this, or like I have a question about this, um, this thing that I'm trying to think through on that same topic, and I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are on it, or you could even you could even come up to somebody and say, look, you know. Uh, you seem like somebody who might know about this. I'm trying to figure out uh you know, what to buy my mom for her birthday and I think she likes this. And, uh, what 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 are your thoughts on it? You know, like you could open up a conversation in myriad different ways. Um you could ha you could find yourself in a busy cafe as I did this morning, for instance. And sit at a table, and then offer other people who are visibly looking around for a place to sit because they just got their drinks or whatever, and just say, "Hey, you know, why don't you sit uh, at my table here? I've got two extra seats. I'm not using them. I'm more than happy to share the space with you." And then, but a boom, but a bang, you've got you've got some some complete strangers there that uh, that you could talk with or not. Right? Again, there's no guarantee in any of this. It's just about bumping into people and engaging in friendly conversation with one another okay so that's that's step three and step four is you know go home at the end of the day and kind of reflect on some of some of the places that you were in and some of the conversations you've had you don't have to journal it or anything just think on it um, and just think you know what where are the gaps here you know how can I? how can I fill the gaps in my radius here? There's, you know, there's this cafe over here, which is doing pretty good. I think that's a good one. Um, I think I'm going to try to go there more often. Uh, And then there's this pub over here, which I think would be so much better if they just didn't have sports on all the time. And, And there's so many TVs, but I don't think I can do very much to change that. And just kind of, begin thinking about these gaps that are in your third place, uh, kind of neighborhood radius there and think about how you might be able to fill those gaps, you know, and, and start with something that's event-based and informal, right? Um, and it's also open and available to others to come into if they are curious enough to join the conversation, right? So it could be, uh, here's one thing that we did, for instance, quite a bit back in the day. We did this thing called the out loud reading group, where we would just sit around in a cafe with a bunch of friends and a bunch of people that we had kind of posted a uh, invite, sorry, an event to on Facebook, and also made some really simple posters about it, saying, you know, we're going to be at this cafe at this time, uh, reading out loud this uh, this famous lecture by this famous person. And basically, we just sat around the table. We've done this a few times. And you just, uh, you know, take turns reading different selections and then, you know, pausing and saying, you know, that, that part really makes me think about this and I you know, I find it fascinating and blah, blah, blah. And just kind of talking and, and everybody gets a turn to kind of read a piece of this material and reflect on it if they feel like it. So that's one example of a way that you could start something that's really informal uh, that's event based. Um, so you can kind of control when it happens and you can just, you know, make that a one-off thing just to experiment with it, or you can make it more regular. Um, and basically I guess what I'm saying is that you, you can fill these gaps in third place that are out there in your community, but you have to be a little intentional about it and you have to be, um, you have to take a baby steps approach to it as well. So start out with some one-offs and some informal things and then work your way up to maybe a regular event uh and then maybe even one day starting your own third place like a cafe or pub uh a restaurant that is you know informed by these ideas and by this desire and this commitment to bring people in your community together to have more opportunities for people to just connect with one another right and you might be saying to yourself now, like, ah, sounds amazing, but I don't have time for this. How am I going to do this? And um, this is where I point towards uh, this notion of kind of better self-management. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying that I'm an expert in this at all by any means, but, but I do get a lot done outside of just the daily grind, right? Right. Right now, my focus is online. I'm trying to do stuff online with with uh, online seminars and um, with podcasts and writing and things like this. Um, but as I'm able to grow more flexibility into my life, I'm hoping to balance that off with more local activities that are a little more intentional than just the kind of third place bumping into one another. So self-management for me, like, getting better at deliberate practice in regard to the to-do list, the daily to-do list around things and working towards developing, um, a working mastery, I guess, of some of these simple productivity habits and routines and all that. Uh, This is all stuff that I talk about in my, in my online seminar, in my live seminar. And you can sign up for the next intake of that if you're interested in that. Um, but the other thing to say on that, you know, if you don't have time, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole objective of this simple exercise is to look at your ability to participate in your local community as something that doesn't have to be uh, utilitarian in its approach. It doesn't have to be about meeting up with people who share your interests and getting a good friend out of the deal or a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. It doesn't have to be about trying to find consistent relationships. It can be just about bumping into people, strangers and, and opening yourself up to a conversation with them. Um, That's, that's all it is. And I think we all have, we all have time for that uh, between our car box and our house box. So, that's what I'm going to leave you people with, uh, on the internet and, uh, look forward to more episodes like this. And also just the usual, uh, interview format episodes and other things that I, that I come up with and want to experiment with and try. And, uh, yes. And I look forward to talking with you guys again next time. You can find the resources mentioned during this episode and download a copy of the podcast exercise worksheet at togetherworking.com slash the Working Together Podcast, all one word. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more in-depth conversations with innovative thinkers, makers, and doers, sure to inspire you and help you make an impact in your world. And don't forget to rate and review so that I can continue to bring you the social innovation goods. Finally, if you'd like to receive the Working Together review where I share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork, facilitation skills, social innovation, cooperatives, behavioral economics, strategy, political theory, and much more, you can sign up at TogetherWorking.com.